I'm Christian Esguera and welcome to this episode of After the Fact where we get to see things more clearly, where we get a better sense of the truth. Let's start by dissecting the news. He went by the name Pinoy shortly after winning the presidency in 2010. Skeptics could have easily dismissed the moniker as a product of some carefully crafted public image. Apt and easy to sell, easy to remember. But as his years in Malacanang would later show, it was an embodiment of the kind of leader he was, or at least aspired to be. One who didn't tolerate abuses. One who aspired for something greater for the Filipino. For a time, his catchphrases, Kayo ang Bosco and Walang Wangwang, resonated among the people. Interestingly, many of today's eulogies included caveats. He might not have been perfect for all his faults. But who actually expects leaders to be perfect anyway? And by what standards are we supposed to measure a president? Tonight, to look back on the presidency of the late Benigno Nune Aquino III and the legacy he has left behind. Be part of our discussion, send us your question and co- questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANCAfterTheFact. Joining us tonight is former Secretary Edwin Lacerda. He's a spokesman of former President Benigno Aquino III and Muntinlupa Congressman Rufi Biason. President uh, President Benigno Aquino III's former Customs Commissioner. Good evening, gentlemen, and thank you for joining us on the program. Good evening, Christian. Good evening, Kongrofi. Okay, yes. sad. Good evening, gentlemen. Sad day today. My deep, our deepest condolences to the family and friends of the late uh, former President Benigno Nune Aquino III. Unfortunately, we have to. This is the kind of situation that we are in now. So. Let's uh, let's focus on the kind of person, leader, and president that he was. Later, talk about the legacy that he has left behind. I'd like to start with the kind of leader, and how do you think, based on what you know about him, he should be remembered? Let's start with uh, Secretary Lasierda. Um, you know, at the start of the administration, he was not confident, but over the several months after assuming the office. He gained a lot of confidence, and he, in his working style, is fundamentally, it should be, and any decision that has to be made must be data driven, must be it is meticulously made, and there's always a f- sense of dread among those who present before him, as though it is always a presenting a thesis defense to a professor. That's the kind of uh, the, that's a kind of pressure that one experiences when you present before the president, owing to the fact that he has a very famous statement that his mantra that he has always told us time and time again. It is the correct identification of a problem leads to the correct identification of a solution. So, and that's why when someone presents before him, he has to come prepared. Otherwise, and he has a calculator beside him. Whenever there are numbers there, he would calculate, he would use his calculator to check on the numbers and making sure that this presentation was not meant to impress him for that sole purpose, but really to see if the facts and in the statistics are consistent as a whole so that when a, prob- when a solution is presented, it should be consistent with the data. And that's why he is very deliberate in making sure that the decision is always data-driven because it affects people. It affects also government funds so he wants to spend it judiciously and so everything has to be ordered well ordered well presented well organized and 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 making sure that there is there was due diligence in those people who presented that otherwise you'll get you'll get uh, you'll get roasted like how <laughs> how did he roast 
members of the cabinet uh, who didn't come that I mean, prepared. It's like, it's like a, um, I would remember one particular cabinet secretary who shall remain anonymous that uh, he sometimes comes in unprepared. And there was, there seems to be a, a non-alignment of, of ideas, the way that you, you need to be at home or rather you need to learn the way he conducts a meeting. Um, and there seems to be a misalignment on that regard. But for most of the other bureaucrats below the secretary level, uh, it's very obvious from the beginning in this line of questioning if that particular presenter didn't know his numbers, didn't know his data. And when he does that, he will bawl you out and say, could you fix your numbers? Could you fix your report? Come back to me again if you're prepared. Don't present to me this, uh, this, this kind of numbers. But he will, do, he will do it in a manner that will not insult you, but you feel the sting. And, and that's a kind of, and that makes you really feel so pressured, even among those who are listening, that those who have the benefit of attending any meeting with him should be forewarned the next time you are the person on the dock. You cannot just BS your way to your presentation. And that's why it's always called Ayana Naman, Thesis Defense Naman Tayo. That's the kind of uh, impression that everyone has coming before the president. Okay. Congressman Abiyason, you headed one of the most sensitive positions under the Aquino administration. You headed the uh, Bureau of Customs, right? And that was uh, very much aligned with his uh, campaign against corruption. How was it like uh, working as customs chief under him? Well, uh, surprisingly, um, he, 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 didn't, he did not micromanage. Um, of course, there was somebody else on top of me, uh, between him and me. Um, and he did not micromanage. Uh, when, when the time that um, he, uh, he had uh, offered the position to me, um, his basic instruction was really just to do what is right and uh, go, let us make some reforms in that bureau. Um, he would, he, I would say that he gives his people the elbow room to show their worth. Um, but of course, uh, when uh, it comes to um, uh, uh, the accountability to him, when he calls for you, um, that would be the, the, the point wherein you would really have to be prepared, as, as uh, Secretary Edwin said. Um, but he, he, didn't, he did not hover over your shoulder. Um, but of course, you know the, the weight of uh, the accountability to him. Uh, the moment he would ask for a, a reckoning or a reporting of, of your what what you have been doing, uh, okay. that, that's how I knew him as as a superior. Um, and in, okay. in in my case, I, I, I usually just really passed through the chain of command. Uh, um, I, I did not take advantage of the fr friendship by going directly to him and bypassing uh, the, the one on top of me. Okay. When I was looking and uh, listening at the uh, eulogies, the um the comments, the expressions of condolences all over social media. One thing that struck me was the, uh, I mentioned this in the introduction, the caveats that were included in many of those uh, statements. Uh, I was wondering, was were those a reflection of how, of the reality of a certain facet in his life? Or was it, were they more of a reflection of how he was misunderstood? So my question is, uh, the two of you knowing him, uh, when he was still alive especially, uh, what do you think were the most uh, misunderstood aspects of his life as a leader, for instance, as president? Secretary Edwin. I think the idea that uh, 
the one idea that really uh, there was this term that was quite noy noy, uh, where it made it appear that he was not working hard. But uh, one of the reasons why that was uh, brought up, I understand, was the difference in in management style. Uh, I think previous administrations would hold the entire or withhold uh, uh, the entire cabinet on a very regular basis. In our in our case, in, in President Aquino's case, um, the full cabinet meeting only happens uh, when, at least regularly, on when there is a deliberation on the national budget. That's one. And number two, whenever there is a convening of the NEDA board, where the entire uh, cabinet is present. And one other special occasion, if I recall, was the uh, full cabinet meeting when we were discussing the issue on South China Sea. How about but the LEDAC? The end, I think this, the LEDAC, I think there's a the LEDAC as well. That's correct. But the LEDAC was not very, very regular. I think it was once held just once or twice, if I recall. Uh, I may be wrong, but it wasn't as regular as, for instance, the GAA, the national budget meetings or the NEDA board meetings. But but because of that, there's a difference from his predecessor. But what we do on a regular basis, on a daily basis, is that he focuses. We had several meetings, at least four or five times a day. In the morning, we'll have either one or two meetings where we will focus on one uh, concern of a specific department. And that's how he manages to make sure that he's targeted and focused in addressing the concerns of a particular department or a particular agency underneath that department. So it gave us him more focus and more time to go to a deep dive on the problems of a specific agency or department. And that's how he, do, he does it. And he's able to devote and, and, and devote, invest more time in a, in a problem, in, 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 in an agency. The but was, that, yes. was, was he affected by this, uh, by this pejorative that came out during his term? You mentioned that, but knowing, yes. uh, if I remember it correctly, that was used as a pejorative to claim that he was doing nothing when there were Correct. serious problems, right? But how did it take it? No, and, you know, I think he does. He takes it with a grain of salt because he knows the facts, and we all all know that um, he was really working hard. Because I I know that for a fact because I am in, present in all the meetings of of President Aquino. At least most of the meetings, maybe about 95 percent of the time, I'm always present in the meeting. So I'm fully aware of what he does on a daily basis, and so it wasn't something that. Uh, that caught on because you know when whenever something's negative, it more or less it sells negative things sells than the positive. So, but it, but we soldiered on. It's not something that should stop us or allow us to be angry, but rather soldier on and prove to the people that we are do. He's doing the job that he was elected to do, and it showed. It showed in the way that we improve the economy. In, in I was saying in that in two quarters during his time, we were able to exceed the GDP of China. We surpassed, we surpassed China. So, and also we, we, we obtained investment grade status, the first one in 2013 by Fitch ratings, and it benefited the whole country. Interest rates went down. Uh, we were able to repay our loans. And as a result of interest rates going down, more people were able, uh, were, were able to afford buying new cars. More people were able to, to borrow money from the banks because the interest rates just really went down, opening up businesses in the process. So those are the kinds of work that that because we deal in a macro level, sometimes the, the people don't feel it is the work of government or it is the work of the president or his administration because 
it's not like you, if you're a mayor in a small in a city, mas personal ang effect. Eh. Dito it's really the entire country. So the effects of it is not directly attributed to to the president. The other thing also that I think, which was uh, he started off bec- uh, with a a memorandum order forbidding his name or his face in national projects. So you don't see his name or his face in constructions or, or road projects. Uh, he made he made it uh, a policy not to do that because fundamentally he he he's, he told us that's not my money. That's the people's money, and the one that should be credited should be the people because it's yeah. their money. And, 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 and I think mm, and I think it's also good to remember that uh, he was not the type who who claim ownership over go, uh, government resources like saying police ko pera nyo may pera ko di ba pondo ko things like that. Anyway, just want to put that on record. I also have this question to uh, for, for uh, Congressman Rufi Biason. You served uh, under him as Customs Commissioner, but you were also with him when he was uh, still in Congress, right? So what do you think? Uh, you, same question, basically. The most uh, misunderstood thing about uh, the former president, knowing him. Yes. Uh, one of the things that are thrown at him is that he, he was supposedly a mediocre legislator, which I totally disagree. Uh, my experience... Um, working with him as a legislator, he, he was really more of a fiscalizer. Um, you know, I, I, I'm in disagreement when people um, measure legislators with the number of bills filed because it's so easy to file bills left and right. Um, you, you can see other legislators have hundreds of bills, but, you know, the substance of the bills that are filed. But the action really in Congress is on the floor. Uh, in committee hearings. And that's where you can see that um, um, Pinoy was, was really at, in, in his best. No? Um, uh, when he asks questions, um, it's methodical, it's logical, there is um, a purpose to the questions that are being asked and there, there's relevance. So if compared to some other legislators who had a lot, a lot tons of bills filed, uh, he may not have the same number, but he was really dealing with the quality of the performance as as a legislator, a policymaker, and uh, somebody who ensures that uh, the bills that are, are passed by Congress uh, are really well thought out and uh, debated on. Mm-hmm. So th- that's that's what I saw in him uh, as a legislator. That's why I, I, I was looking at him as one of those um, model legislators that uh, I look up to, um, being a junior uh, congressman, uh, under him during that time. Yeah. I remember part of the criticism at that time, especially after he declared his intention to run for president in 2010, although reluctantly, was that people went went by his record, legislative record, and uh, they focused on this uh, loan bill, the codification of laws, right? But they, again, overlooked the fact that he was present in most, if not all, uh, relevant committee meetings. Yes, and, and, and if, if they had bothered to look over the transcripts of, of proceedings, you'd see the work that he was doing. So it, it's really not a good measure to simply look at the number of bills filed. Um, okay. Now, h- how was he with his friends? Ordinarily, if you're president, you would uh, put people you know very well in positions of trust, right? But one criticism that was hurled uh, against him toward this direction during his presidency was that he was quite soft with friends and unforgiving with his enemies. Was this even accurate? Uh, 
Kong Rufi. I, I wouldn't say that he was soft on friends. Um, he just expected, uh, he, he has expectations of performance because he, is really, he was really serious in his work. And uh, I, 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 I'm not really that uh, within his inner circle, but uh, we are friends. And I did not feel that there was a special place for me, special treatment. Um, we, we dealt with each other in a professional manner. Um, so he knows the boundaries of, of where the friendship is and where the work begins. Um, and he has that balance. Um, okay. Yeah. Secretary Lasciata. When it comes to friends, I mean, he, you know, he was not, uh, well, obviously, the natural tendency if you appoint friends is to, to have an understanding that I trust you to do your work. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there is also a high level, that there's more pressure brought to bear on them because of that perceived idea or impression that perception that I appointed a friend. A, a classic example would be, for instance, Rene Almendras, mm-hmm. who is one of his closest friends. And, and Rene, Secretary Almendras, was, has proved to be a very capable uh, cabinet secretary. In the other areas where his friends were appointed, uh, there was really from the media aspect, there was the fourth estate really looking after how they were performing. And, you know, to my recollection, uh, two of his friends were removed from public office. Um, um, if I recall, the two friends uh, that were, re- were removed. And it was not difficult for him. I- I'm sure there was some difficulty uh, in the internal in the, in the internal workings of of uh, the president, but at the end of the day, there was no excuse for them uh, when it was proven that they have done something wrong. I think what happened there was out of delicadeza, they just resigned rather than being fired. Was, was he the type who would tell uh, his friends in cabinet or in government directly, I don't want you there anymore? Or was, it, was he the somehow passive aggressive type? He would make you feel that you need to go. Um, it can, if, in my, my recollection, it can be both, uh, but but it's not done publicly. It's always done within the within the four corners of his office. He's not, he does not shame anyone publicly except for a few times where, and it's not even the friends. No. Uh, but but when it comes to friends, or rather to cabinet officials also, whether you're a friend or not, he does not shame you publicly. He will be, he will reprimand you. And again, he does the reprimanding on the on the private side. I can give, for instance, an example where, for instance, we made a mistake in our public pronouncements. Uh, he will not. He will call us call us out privately, or call us, or or just he will summon us to the office. Uh, one example, and then explain to us why we we said something not not appropriate or not proper or not entirely correct. But outwardly. He will not. He will not correct it. Pero para siya magalit. Ma ma ano siya? May 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 situations sa paggalit siya galit siya. But that is more ano eh? That that's rare. Mas talagang ano siya? And prang kasi makipagsalita sa yon. Wala talagang ano. He paggalit siya sa yon. May basihan. Hindi yung out of spite. Some people just some leaders because of power. Will just get mad at you for 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 what 
whatever whims and caprices that you hold. Okay. I'm, I'm curious about your I'm curious about your position, Secretary Lacerda, <clears throat> because you were the you were holding the microphone uh, for for the president. It was and it was a very difficult job, ba? Yung yes. wala kang masasabing tama dyan, eh, as far as satisfying everyone. But was there any instance? You said kanina may dinapagalitan kayo in certain instances, right? But was there even a time when somehow you felt the president overtly wanted you to lie or to cover things up for him? No, no. That was the first thing that we agreed on. Uh, don't lie for me. Number two, sabi niya, if you don't know the answer, don't don't BS. Wag kang magsinungaling. Just say, I don't know. I'll get back to you later. That has always been my practice uh, pag nangyayari yun. Uh, and also the, the reason why I say he always has our back. Uh, if he felt na inadequate ng aming explanation, he felt the inadequacy of our explanation, he would say that on his own terms, on his in, with his own words. So that somehow completes a picture that we we somehow have adequately explained. So and that's his way of correcting us. Uh, but privately also, he would tell us, Edwin, I think this is uh, cool. Medyo mali ang sinabi mo. And that's how frank he is with us. Because I'm speaking for the president. So that's why we always have a very close relationship. Pag hindi ko alam ang sagot, I'll text him. If the response that I gave was, and he gives me a response, may nangyari na medyo ma- hindi maganda yung reception. Hindi ako napagalitan dahil sa kanya ko nakuha yung, yung, ano eh, yung sagot. No? So, pero in certain instances talaga, hindi ka, you cannot really be cognizant of all the facts, aware of all the issues. So, Sometimes may tendency kami na kulang ang sinabi or na sobra. So that's a time where where we'll be corrected. And by the way, one of the things that pet peeve niya sa, sa inyo when you were still Christian nung nasa Malacañang press corps ka was bakit ang mga tanong hindi lang hindi lang specific to the palace but pati problema ng ibang mga kagawaran pa ikaw ang sumasagot. Ah, okay. I understand that concern. I, I also had that uh, pet peeve, no? Yung, <laughs> yung parang everything under the sun, tinatanong sa Malacanang uh, press conference. Right, right. Exactly lahat, no? Pati DSWD, lahat. That's why in the morning talagang any issue in the morning that crops up, I have to call up all the cabinet secretaries na may issue. I Laging kailangan ng palas reaction. Palas reaction, so I have to call up FDILG and I'll call up Jesse Robredo, if Dinky for DSWD, Volts Gasmin for DND. Lahat yan, naka, naka yan, lahat yan, kung may issue, that's why you need to be prepared. Because wala rin kaming alam masyado. I mean, we only focus on the palace, but lahat yan, pumapasok sa loob. And so the president was sometimes, why do you keep on answering questions of the other departments? Let them answer. Sabi ko, sir, the Malacanang press corps is responding us. If, that's why in the morning, I do this. This is my job in the morning. I really gather all the cabinet secretaries. Okay, well, that, well, that kept you under, on your toes somehow. So, nakatulong din. Eh. Anyway, I'd like, I like to ask uh, Congressman Rupi because you, you headed the, 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 the Customs uh, Bureau. So, again, this was the centerpiece uh, uh, of the platform of the, pres- of the former president, diba? Kung walang korap, walang mahirap. Would you say that somehow, uh, from where you sat or stood under his administration, that it was a success, that um, he, he achieved a measure of success as far as uh, weeding out corruption in the bureaucracy was concerned? Well, a measure of success really there would be um, the people in the Bureau uh, understood that the top leadership of the country um, is serious in his uh, quest for a clean customs. Uh, of course, the challenge is is really uh, uh, big because the, the, the Kalakaran is deeply rooted 
and in all levels um bakalakaran is there but it's it was a major uh, uh, advantage that the president himself um is seen as uh, as serious in in uh, correcting the ills of the institution um hindi yung merong hindi yung merong ano merong privileged no na uh, may connect hanggang taas um so it it was it it, it was a, a a good backup for people who are trying to institute the reforms in the, in the bureau um of course it it was really a, a difficult challenge um and and uh, you don't know kung saan ang gagaling minsan yung kalaban um so if you take a look at it uh, the reforms have been uh, slow in coming no? even up to now kasi like right now i'm in in, in congress again and we're taking up uh, some reform measures pending in in congress and uh, there are still some um uh measures that are being proposed by the current uh, commissioner which actually were also the ones that i was trying to push back then so the success at the ground level was really uh, difficult but it was really a major um uh, uh, advantage that the president himself uh, was seen as, as serious in 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 uh, addressing the problem in the bureau okay. there are a lot of controversies that happened during the time of president uh, Benigno Aquino the uh, but i'd like to ask first um secretary lacerda given your close relationship with him primarily by virtue of your position which of these controversies you felt or you knew you know affected him affected him the most i think there would be two that would uh, come to mind um the pork barrel and and the second one would be the mamasapan uh, well not really the pork barrel um uh, maybe typhoon yolanda um in typhoon yolanda's case it's really a the strongest typhoon that hit any any country in the world and so the that was that that part of the visaya was really stranded and so we we had to find ways to make sure that the logistics would be able to and supplies to be delivered properly to to the affected areas like Tacloban and Samar so that that really took a long time but but it it was also it the reason why it also affected me because of the number of people that were that suffered uh the number of people that that died because of that incident in the case of mama sapano um it was really a a a operation that that went wrong he trusted the subject matter experts hoping that they have the necessary knowledge to handle that particular operation it turned it turned out badly but even if we were able to attain the objective of uh of neutralizing um the particular terrorists it costs a lot from to us our 44 staff soldiers passed the other thing by the way with the pidaf scam the pidaf scam was or the pork barrel was another matter which which is very which was a debate within the cabinet not really cabinet between between the people who are close to him because it was a debate on on the belief of the president that if you use your pork barrel properly it should benefit the people because he himself as a congressman and kong rufi should know this that he wisely spent his pork barrel the hard projects or the so and the soft projects he used it properly and it was all accounted for and so he felt that let us not 
perhaps let us see and re-examine uh, the pork barrel rather than abolishing them. On the other side of, uh, of the equation was us, Cabinet Secretary, some of us, uh, who really had this long, several hours of discussion, just debating, sir, we need to abolish the PIDA because it does not appear. It does. Uh, it appeared that in the past, by the way, this PIDA scam was not related to to President Aquino's sermon. This was a, this was a finding by COA on the use of pork barrel previous to President Aquino's term. That was previous to 2010. So that was a a finding audit report from from uh, the COA chair of Great Stand, if you recall. So that was the, the context there. But since he felt that I, as a congressman, was using it properly, we should be using it properly. And there's a benefit to using the pork barrel. But eventually, in the debate, which took a very several several hours and several days, and the final day, it took us so long that he, he, he believed in the wisdom of abolishing it. And so he came up with a statement. Just to show also that when he believes that despite the notion that he is stubborn, and yes, he can be stubborn, but he also gives into reason and to whatever yeah. is the best for the country. I think that was clear because I remember the press conferences or media interviews that he granted during the time. He, I didn't get the sense that he was against the pork barrel system per se, that he right. was even defending it. Right, and that's where the hard questions came. In fact, I remember that. I remember Christian. The, the the statement, the prepared statement, was very clear. And then when he was responding, you, the reporters, felt in a bullish bow in there. Yeah. Because because he believed per, he believed personally on the merit of using the pork barrel, uh, contrary to the 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 way other. Yeah, I remember that he couldn't hide his real position regarding the matter, but there was a prepared statement for him. But which he, which he really agreed on because it was really a long debate. It was such a long debate. Um, uh, if I remember it right, Secretary Mar, Butch, um, Mon Jimenez, I, we were there and, and really just debating, sir, we need to abolish the, the PDAF. And okay. he felt strongly about the proper use. In fact, we have all the records of how he used the pork barrel funds. And there was no, there was no taint of abuse in the use of his pork barrel. That's why he can stand on his record that he used his pork barrel properly. And that's where the, the, the conflict lay between some of the cabinet members and with okay. the president. Eventually, we, we were able to convince him. Let's, mm -hmm. let's move and mm -hmm. Congressman Narufi, I remember in 2013, you, 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 you resigned uh, as the customs commissioner. But how was the conversation like with, uh, with then President Nonoy Aquino? Uh, this was in connection to, uh, you, you were linked uh, with many other uh, personalities at that time, allegedly, in the pork barrel scam? Well, the, you know, the resignation came about because I felt that um, it was going to be unfair to the president uh, for me to become a, a burden for him. Because it, uh, uh, if a president's uh, appointee um, uh, gets entangled into controversy, he automatically becomes a burden to the president, to the one who appointed um, I, I disagree with the, with the common statement where the people usually use they, when they say they serve only at the pleasure of the, the president. Uh, for me, once you're appointed as a public official, you serve at the pleasure of the people. And it's going to be your duty to protect or to uh, spare uh, the appointing power um, 
over the burden of whether to kick you out or or endure you, you know. Uh, so I, I I made that decision um, because I think I owe it to him. Um, he he had the confidence in me, but if there is a controversy, um, it would be unfair to force oneself uh, for the president to bear the brunt uh, for you. So mm-hmm. I think that was uh, the right thing to do. And um, of course, he, 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 he took it well. Uh, um, and I don't, don't hold any grudge over that. Um, some people were telling me, why resign? Um, wala naman connection sa position mo yung controversy um, and and some bluntly told me hindi ka mapoproteksyonan kung mag-resign ka but again to me uh, it's it's really something that I owe, owe to him to unburden him from that and he accepted that right but he told you to to finish uh, some of the unfinished business that you had at customs yes that was that was in November um, actually uh, that was um, uh, I, I offered my resignation earlier, if you remember the famous uh, Sona speech. <laughs> and, and then he, he told me then that he, I still have his confidence um, and I, I stayed on. Uh, but when that other matter came up in November, uh, that's when I said I really have to uh, give it up. Okay. Um, Secretary Edwin, let's talk about regrets. Okay. Earlier you mentioned uh, the Mama Sapano incident uh, as one of the biggest uh, problems or controversies during his term that, that somehow affected him the most. Did you have any particular regrets regarding this incident, for instance? Or to cite an example, when the coffins were being, um, uh, were arriving at the airbase, he was heavily criticized for, for not showing up. Okay. Uh, if I remember it correctly, that was one of the biggest controversies. But when I spoke with some of uh, the people who were close to him years later, they gave certain answers. But I'd like to hear it from you. What was his reason then? And uh, you know, did he have any particular regret? The day before the the caskets arrived from from Mindanao, we had a meeting, and. One of the discussions there was on whether he was going to to meet with the to attend the the caskets when they when they arrive. Similar to how U.S. soldiers when they pass when when they perish overseas, they're brought to the Dover Air Force Base. Um, he gave us a very poignant answer, really, and somehow it didn't somehow it it, it made sense to a lot of us. You must remember that in 1983, when his father, the Senate, late Senator Nino Aquino, was assassinated, uh, he was abroad. He didn't come home with his dad, with his father, on that fateful flight. And so news came belated to them that their father was assassinated. When he arrived already to the Philippines, the body of the late senator was already lying in state uh, and there was a huge public uh, clamoring and there was a huge line paying their respects to to the late senator benigno king that made him feel like we never had the chance to mourn my dad in private that was very very that stuck to him very strongly that's the reason why he said that let them have their chance to grieve privately. 
then I will visit some other time. And, and that's why he decided, and not so much because he refused to attend or he didn't want to attend, but it is because of the fact that based on his experience when his father was, was assassinated, he wanted a private time with his family, with his mom, with his dad. He never got it. And so he did not want to, to deprive the families of the 44 um, victims of Mama Sapan. And that's the reason why he didn't show up. The problem, however, was that they felt that he focused on another event, which we also was not aware of. Uh, we, were, we had normally the schedule, but some of that particular day, we were only aware of that schedule of whether should he attend the, the, the Air Force Base, Fort uh, Nichols Air Force Base uh, event. So they thought that he was very insensitive, but that, that was not the case. He just really wanted to give space to the families of those who died, uh, private time to mourn their dead. Okay. Congressman Biazon, how was your relationship with the former president after he, after his term in Malacanang, during his retirement uh, from politics, quote-unquote? Um, how, how was it? I would say I would say it was still the same, uh, except that um, I don't get to see him face to face. We would uh, exchange text messages from time to time. Of course, I understand that he was also uh, retired already, uh, or he is out of public uh, life, uh, and I was also busy with my own. Um, but uh, for instance, he he also never fails to um, greet me on my birthday, just as I also greet him on his birthday and on special occasions like Christmases and New Year's. Um, it, it, it's just really that we have had to go on, on our own separate uh, uh, lives, uh, me as still an incumbent official and him as a private citizen. But I would say that the, the friendship remained, uh, no ill feelings. Uh, Secretary Edwin, was this a conscious uh, effort or a decision on the part of the former president to stay out of the limelight after his term ended in 2016? Or was it more of a function of uh, health problems that he would have wanted to be more involved eventually after a couple of years to be more prominent somehow? Well, it was more of uh, respecting the tradition that once you retire, you give space to your successor allowing him to implement his policies without any criticism. It's the same, it's the same tradition that U.S. presidents accord to their successors. That's more, that's more of that. The sickness, the illness came rather late already. Uh, when he retired in 2016, he was not in any way sick. So, but because of the tradition of giving space, that's why he never commented on the public uh, acts of the present president. And, and would you know how he felt about uh, many of his allies who, after his term ended, actually went uh, their separate ways and jumped to the next administration? I know this is a reality in Philippine politics, but uh, and he's no he was no stranger to this. But how did he feel about this anyway? I, I think it's a political reality that uh, he can he he's, he understands. Uh, but the close, the, the friends that he grew up with in the Liberal Party, for instance, like Kong Rufi uh, and the others so who have remained in, in Liberal Party, they, they have stayed loyal to the party itself. So that wasn't an issue for him. The fact that, remember in previous to 2010, there was a joke that the Liberal Party can fit in a combi <laughs> on a Volkswagen. 
now they're back to, be, to being in a Volkswagen or in a Combi. So that wasn't something that he felt uh, um, angry with. It's a, like you said, Christian, it's a reality that he accepts. So there was no grudge, ill feeling towards those people who, who left for another party because that's, that's their tradition. I mean, that's a, a reality in Philippine politics. Okay. Now, this next question is openly discussed on social media already, although major hush discussion about this, again, because of the, uh, because of the circumstances, circumstances that we are in now. But I'd like to ask first Congressman Rufi Biazon, how do you think his death could affect the, the current situation now, especially next year we're going to have an election? Uh, some people tend to somehow draw parallels uh, with what happened in 2009 going to the 2010 elections, you know, what happened just now in 2021, going to 2022? Well, I think it's quite obvious that uh, people now are now in a reflect reflective mode, um, thinking of, uh, of how the presidency of uh, Noy Noy Aquino was, how he was as a president. And uh, with, with elections coming up, um, people are, are reminded of... Um, what does what really matters when you select a leader? Um, I think it 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 will somehow um, awaken uh, people um, to make a, a, a more um, um, a more responsible decision come 2022. Um, it has given us a, 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 a look back on on on. Uh, how a particular president uh, showed his qualities that that endears him to people, so it it, it might reorient uh, a lot of people with regard to um, their selection uh, in the coming elections. Some sort of a reminder of the kind of leader that he was, and perhaps uh, the kind of leader that they could also look for in 2022. Okay, what what, what do you think, uh, Secretary uh, Lasherda? You know, I've I've seen certain texts saying that. Uh, why is it that, uh, and this is these are texts that I've seen, uh, why is there whenever there's a need to save the country, an Aquino has to die? And maybe it draws parallelism to the election, the framework, for that, that time frame of the deaths happening near an election. And, and that somehow cannot be, the parallelism cannot be ignored. But it remains up to the people to see, and like what Kong Rufi said, to, to reflect on the leadership that uh, President Aquino exhibited and there's an, 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 an unavoidable comparison to the leadership style of President Duterte. That's something that will, will always crop up. Uh, and, and that reflection and the resulting re effect of those reflections will be up to the people and how they view President Aquino um, and, 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 uh, and this 20, in the light of the 22 elections. In the same way that, that people reflected on the death of Cory Aquino in the light of the 2010 elections. Uh, because in the, in the case of President Cory, there was a, the, the country at the time, and, and Christian, you know, this was, was enmeshed in corruption scandals and the NZTE controversy and all that. So that's why they remember a time forgotten in 1986 where President Cory uh, helped liberate the country from tyranny and from dictatorship and ushered in a new government. So that's the kind of comparison that is bound to happen, that is inevitable to happen, but that is up to the people to see what kind of reflection they will have out of that comparison. 
Okay, finally, um, first, Congressman uh, Rufi Biazon, I go back to my original question, just to tie things up. How then should he be remembered? I think he should be remembered as uh, a, a president who exhibited uh, um, moral courage and um, an example that other public servants um, should live by. Um, the way I, I looked at him was that he he wasn't there to exercise power. Um, he was there to serve. And it's something that uh, we in government should emulate. Okay. Secretary Lashada. Similar to what Kong Rufi said, I think he must be remembered for someone as a servant leader or as a steward of the power entrusted to him by the people and by the Constitution. I don't remember a situation where he abused his power. That, and the, the, the motto that he said, Kayo Ambosco, was manifested in the way that he put people first rather than him first. Uh, it's very obvious in the economic policies that he set out. And also, whenever a decision was made that was very popular with the people, but in the long run would be unpopular to the people, he never hesitated to go against the populist tendencies. He, we had the saying always that he mentioned to us always, let us not kick the can down the road. Let's address the problem right now. If the solution appears to be populist but would not benefit the people, we won't take that route. Even if it's popular to me, I'm not willing to do that. Let's take the difficult route for as long as it will benefit the people. So, yung sinasabi niya, ang kayo ang Bosco was manifested always in putting people first rather than him first. Okay, Secretary Edwin Dasherda and uh, Muntinlupa Congressman Rufi Biason, thank you gentlemen for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And before we go, much has been said about former President Benigno Nonoy Aquino III's leadership today, with tributes coming from both his supporters and even some of his critics. But here's how Aquino described his presidency in his own words. at masasabing ginawa ko ang pinakamainam na desisyon batay sa kalaman at kakayahang mayroon tayo sa mga panahon yun. Kaisang isang interest ko ang kapakanan ng aking boss. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Haya ko na pong kasaysayan ang husga. that's it for this episode of After the Fact. This has been your host, Christian Esquera. Watch this episode again on I1TFC or listen to our podcast on Spotify now for recaps and other exclusive content. Subscribe to the ANC YouTube channel and catch up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you again tomorrow, After the Fact.